Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us, and I am very excited about today's episode. We have a really great chat. It's with Joanna Van Thine. But before we get to that, I want to just ask, I want to make a request here. That you share the podcast with friends if you are enjoying it. I'll be honest, I haven't really been super comfortable with really putting myself out there with the podcast, even though I've been doing it for over four and a half years now. And hoping that an audience finds it, I did feel like I was in a bit of a vulnerable spot with getting put out in the world for more eyes to see, because with more eyes can come a little more scrutiny, maybe. And I've been encouraged by a few people, including next week's guest, which I'm very excited for you to hear that, but I've been encouraged by a lot of these people about the podcast, and it's made me want to put myself out there more, and I think that maybe one way to put myself out there more is to humbly ask that you share the podcast if you are enjoying these episodes, because I feel like so many people have had really great conversations and offered a lot of really great insights into comedy and offered a lot of wisdom about just life in general. Keisha Zoller's episode comes to mind. And uh, again, next week's episode comes to mind. And this episode also has a lot of really great insight and a thoughtful discussion that I really appreciate about this podcast. And I do want to share it with people. So Please, if you don't mind, share the podcast with friends on social media. Don't forget to add us at There It Is Pod. All right. Now, on to today's episode. As I mentioned, it's with Joanna Van Thine. She's a comedian, a writer, a director, a producer. She's done a ton of stuff, and she does a ton on all of those different projects. We talk about all of that and more. So here it is, my chat with Joanna Van Thine. Joanna, so great to have you, number one, because recently I was on your podcast. You were. It was great. Yeah. As for those who don't know, I was on Apocalypse Now, which is your podcast, and I was it was fun. I got to do that, so go check that episode out. But you, Joanna, I had to have you on. You've done a ton of stuff. You're from Philly. Yes. And you've What's done up, a, Philly? Yeah, but you live in New York now. And you've been here for quite some time? I moved up here in, in the beginning of 2016. Yes. Okay. Great yeah. timing. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, <laughs> that's one year before I moved here. Yeah. Don't you feel like you're just like, ah, oh, this is the them. best time? Well, uh, between the subway and, you know, <laughs> Trump happening, I was like, this is mm-hmm. the worst time to come up here. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. Um <laughs> But the it got the him out of, about. yeah, yeah, that's true, that's for sure. I don't even know exactly where to be- begin with breaking down your career, because you are an actor, you're a comedian, you're a filmmaker, you're a producer, you're a writer, you, you do all of these things. 
where did it begin for you? When what was your first love of uh, arts and entertainment? Well, I would say it's always been in me to be like a character and to perform. And uh, when I was a kid watching Disney movies, watching Mel Brooks, like I watched Mel Brooks movies as a child. Mm -hmm. And at first I didn't realize that, you know, you could be characters, that acting was a thing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I was like 12, uh, the shore town that um, my family went to had like auditions for The Wizard of Oz. And I was like, wait a minute, I could actually do the the wicked witch of the west's lines like i could actually do that Mm -hmm. so i've um it's just something that's always found me i started singing i was a singer for forever because my grandmother sang so it's always been something that i've gravitated towards and um i'm very persistent on it despite my family's uh, um, attempts to stop me (laughs) (laughs) uh it's just something a drive that i've always um gone after my mother used to say to me that i had this one of the first like phrases i ever said when i was a kid was no i won't get it out of my mind (laughs) and that's just that will be the title of my autobiography one day because it's just uh, i know i won't stop doing this (laughs) (laughs) i feel you on that i mean that's exactly where i am it was definitely something that was always in me and I was honestly seeing Ghostbusters and, and specifically Bill Murray in that, that made me think, Oh, that's what I want. That's who I am. Like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Whenever Uh, we played Ghostbusters in my neighborhood uh, in the late nineties, I always wanted to play that character and people mm -hmm. would be like, that's a boy's character. You can't play that character. So yeah, the funny sarcastic characters always stood out to me. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely see it uh, in myself for a little bit there, too. Um, so when you started, uh, I don't know, what age were you when you started getting into acting, like actually doing plays or what have you? I mean, my first audition, I got rejected, which is just perfect for um, the metaphor for my career. I Like I mentioned, I wanted to audition for uh Wizard of Oz and other little girls would be like, I want to be Dorothy. But no, like the first thing I went for, I was like, I want to be the Wicked Witch. I can do it. I got a spot on impersonation. I can do it. And apparently um, I learned a very valuable Hollywood lesson with that. Uh, I had a family vacation scheduled for Williamsburg in the middle of rehearsal for the Uh, play. uh So the director did not give me the role of the Wicked Witch. And I, I was a chorus member because I would miss an important piece of rehearsal so i was like wow like looking back at it now as an adult i'm like i was rejected because of logistics it's like that was a great first lesson right uh, but i always sang in choir since i could sing in choir i think mm-hmm. that's where it all started and uh singing kind of i was always i looked up to um <clears throat> this is gonna sound really random singers like jonathan davis of corn who oh, okay. sang with a lot of emotion so mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. when I sang with emotion, I think that's where I first started to find what acting was. And for the wow. longest time, I thought acting was pretending to be somebody else, but it's not. It's being completely honest about your own emotions. So there, that's a, a good hot distinction. acting tip. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. Because that's why I always hate when people say, 
oh, Jack Nicholson is the same and everything, or uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, I've heard that. But they're doing some, there's, for, that's just flat out not true about Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. But uh, in both of their cases, there are like subtle things they're doing that's playing the moment. That's playing yeah. the emotion and, and rawness of the moment. Yeah. And the other thing is every actor needs to bring a piece of themselves to a character. So, of mm-hmm. course, we're going to see Jack Nicholson in every character. You see right. Johnny Depp in every character that mm-hmm. Johnny Depp plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, or but, or uh, Anne Hathaway or yep. Meryl Streep. I mean, you know, Alec Baldwin. Like anyone, it's still them <laughs> saying these yeah. words and, and using their body. Uh, you're still going to notice how their body moves yeah acting is really uh and i grew up i did grow up like idolizing johnny depp like he was one of my favorite actors because he was also able to just disappear in a character Mm -hmm. and play weird characters so that's really when i started acting uh that's what i wanted to play and a lot of those roles went to guys and a lot of those roles were written for guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get really excited when I, uh, now that I see a lot of like really psychotic women on screen now, like mm-hmm. we, like Harley Quinn, like uh, Margot Robbie's doing a great job with that character. So great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I love, I love seeing like the unhinged uh, or like over the top sarcastic character. Uh, and Part of the reason why I started creating my own stuff was because I wasn't ever given an opportunity to play those characters. So I just thought, I'm just going to write myself characters that I want to play. (laughs) So a lot of it is that, just being purely selfish, too. Yeah. Well, when you did start getting cast, when did did that happen? When uh, was your next... was your next um, audition better? <laughs> oh, auditions are hard. I'm yeah, not the best are. at auditioning. I suck at auditioning. To be honest with you, when I get cast and stuff, it's usually a result of someone being aware of something that I've created, which is why I say to performers all the time, make your own stuff, whether it yeah. be an audio podcast or like a short web series, because uh, auditioning's hard. It like, is auditioning's tough, harder yeah. than acting. There are famous people who hate auditioning. Yeah. And you and, make a good point about making your own stuff because not only it, it helps in so many ways. Like in one way, it helps because it's getting your voice out there and other people can see what your voice is and then they'll know what kind of stuff to put you in. But then also you're making work for yourself. And then also when you're making stuff yourself, you you just know how to make things better. So even if you're on a project that you didn't write and you aren't producing or directing, you can still help with that process, with that storytelling process. Yeah. It's getting experience. Your experience. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I say to all actors, I mean, there are actors that just strictly want to act. And it, especially if you want to be in film, I think being a production assistant is really important. Getting on, just getting on set and like learning the environment because you don't learn that stuff in school. No, so no. Uh, I didn't really uh, in Philadelphia, you know, I went on casting calls. I submitted self tape auditions, but I also was a production assistant and I also was a producer and an associate producer at a production company. Uh, I made my own podcast back then in like mm-hmm. 2010. And I also made a web series called Creepy Basement, which yeah, uh, gave yeah. me a lot of different uh, avenues. So really, uh, I could have spent all of that time preparing for self-tape auditions and and making these auditions but instead 
I wanted to make stuff that like, I don't know, made me laugh Mm -hmm. and would give people a kind of an idea of what kind of projects I wanted to go for or what kind of characters I wanted to play. Uh, It's not an easy route. Definitely not an easy route. (laughs) But what is, you know, I mean, even if if someone does just want to be a film actor and they don't want to write and they don't want to direct, A, you still got to know how to read a script because there are a lot of actors who've chosen bad projects because they just didn't know how to read a script. But, uh, or, you know, when I say that, I mean, to the listener, there's a lot I'm of saying, lessons. I just no, learned I mean, what is good and what is bad from reading a script. But see, I disagree with that. I say, I tell my film students all the time there's the script you write, there's the script you shoot, and then there's the script, the movie, there's a movie you write, the movie you shoot, and the movie you edit. And they could be completely different. That's true. Now, I've heard George Clooney say that, and I've made that point myself. I am speaking to the fact that George Clooney also said he knows when a bad script is not good what he was saying was a bad script is not going to be you're not going to film a good movie when the script is shit yeah (laughs) and you can't edit that any better than it is but you can take a good script and shoot it poorly and end up with Mm -hmm. a bad movie or edit it poorly and end up with a bad movie i mean it's also People say yes to projects for a number of reasons. Maybe they trust the people that are behind the project, or maybe they feel like I'm not getting a whole lot of offers. So I'm going to take this. Yeah, they just need to work. Yeah. They need money. Right. I did a project called, yeah, I did a project with friends called uh, American Exorcist, and that was a very expensive lesson that I learned. Uh, Like, there's there's a script that you read. There's an environment on set, and then the movie could turn out to be something completely different after post-production. And that's something that happened with that project. But uh, that's important. Those are important mistakes to learn. And mm-hmm. I think really independent, you know, and people that come from more difficult backgrounds, uh, they need to do the trial and error to, you know, become the artists and the filmmakers that they need to be because I don't know, people with like money and opportunity can make all the mistakes and still land on their feet. But right. Yeah. You have to grow. You can't like people think fail like failing at something means you should quit. But but it's not the case. That's just no, it's just an expensive from. lesson. <laughs> yeah. Right. When it comes to filmmaking and yeah. like your filmmaking is an expensive lesson most of right. the time. Right. Because it's not like there's there's always this big turnaround, you know, like, um, sure, George Clooney was able to shoot out of sight six months after shooting Batman and Robin, but for a lot of people, <laughs> they uh, even big-name people, they might have yeah. a couple of years in between movies, and if one of those flops, then it could be hard to get the next thing. Yeah, it's all a gamble. Uh, filmmaking is definitely uh, hard, and also with the internet and Mm. the fact that we are content creators now that's the word that we're being called i felt and i still feel uh because it's been ingrained in me for so long that like if you're not making content all the time you're not relevant you don't exist so you have to stay relevant and uh it's a lot of pressure for independent artists in they they don't have the mental or technical uh, ability to make stuff all the time. So it's like, uh, I've always felt that pressure of 
you know, if I'm not making content, then I'm not relevant, then I'm never going to be able to take those next steps to, you know, do full-time acting or do full-time filmmaking. Uh, so it's really, it, it's, it's hard um, to juggle all those feelings and to juggle uh, all the ways that you try to, you know, reach your career goals. Cause it's like a different time now. It's not mm-hmm. like, it's not you go into a magazine, you look up auditions, you show up to an audition and you cross your fingers. It's like you have the ability to cultivate your own audience, but at the same time, um, it's a lot of demand mm-hmm. that I think we're putting a little too much demand on on people, on our content creators. I agree. And I've been somewhat sitting back and noticing, I mean, yes, I do the podcast every week, but that's not the same as doing TikTok or some kind of YouTube or Instagram piece um, a day or yeah. a few times a week. And I've, I've come to sort of having the opinion that, A, maybe there's just too much content, but also I'm a little torn on feeling that way because creators should be able to create as much as they want. If somebody wants to put out something, then they certainly should work on it and put it out there. But... I'm just not so comfortable with the driving factor being you should be putting something out every day. You know, if that's the reason, then you could end up putting out something that you regret later as something that doesn't really speak to you. I've put out a lot of of crap there. I'll say it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if I was writing a joke a day on Twitter, then, uh, yeah, I would definitely have something that... Because I've done that for a little bit, and then later I was like, ah, that joke was so stuck in the what was trending that day mm-hmm. yeah and now outside of it all these months or, or however much time outside of it it just looks weird yeah that's the thing is like you can make something and sure it'll go viral but it's like 15 seconds long how much is that going to help you i know people that have gone viral and it's done nothing for their careers yeah. and i've uh, I read an article recently about a woman that wrote a ad for a dog that she's fostering. It was really funny. She was talking about how the Chihuahua was a little, you know, haunted by a Victorian child. <laughs> and she's just a mom that fosters um, dogs. But she's like people on SNL were like reaching out and like writer people are offering me writing gigs. I was like, really, is that all it takes? I got to write like a viral Facebook post and someone's going to offer me a job. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so weird because sometimes it works out that way and sometimes it doesn't, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. people will get found that way. And then somebody else you'll see has 40,000 likes and and 30,000 retweets, but 200 followers. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, all right, well. It's tough. I mean, I've been doing my thing for years and I have students now that say that they're going to be like podcasters. They're going to be streamers. And a lot of them think it's very easy to do that because they see people that just get very lucky Mm -hmm. and make millions of dollars. But then be like, I've been doing this since the early 2000s. And uh, it's very it's there's a lot of content and it's a lot of hard work, but you got to put in the hard work. Yeah, and like I said earlier, you, no matter what you're doing, you have to work hard. But um, yeah, it's there is now this thing of it's still there's still luck, you know, even yeah. when it's content creating on TikTok or or Instagram or, or something that can be monetized. There's some people who've they have a Patreon and they they 
have enough, they have their following, but there are these random people who will blow up and it can look like that's that's something Very anyone easy. can do if they just put something out. Yeah, like it's just an easy thing, but that is just luck. There are people yeah. who are putting out work that is just as good, but nobody knows them. Yeah, that's why I wear my Italian horn now all the time. I need more luck. Got to oh, get that luck that going in. An Italian horn. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just a tiny one, but uh, it's supposed to bring was, good uh, luck. Okay. I don't yeah. know, um, I guess, Italian history. I'm that's not Italian, okay. though. That's interesting, uh, it, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, because we, we, we've talked about this before on my show, how a lot of it is luck. And I'm very uh, happy about the stuff that I've created in the past, you know, I, but now with all the content that I've released in the past, I kind of was going to say, like, throwing pasta against the wall and see mm-hmm. what sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the older I get, I feel like uh the better my art becomes and the better mm-hmm. and more refined my voice becomes mm-hmm. so uh sometimes instead of you know i look at people like justin bieber and can't imagine what fame or success at like 16 or 17 would have done uh but uh, to be able to get older and be more mature and like grow as an artist without having any any external pressure has been really nice um yeah yeah, but I'm ready for that pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, getting in the big leagues, that's what everybody, uh, maybe not everybody, it's what a lot of people want is that, mm-hmm. that level of fame. But you're, I agree that getting famous early can, it just seems like it's terrible. And yeah. uh, getting, becoming noteworthy, but not necessarily famous later seems to be best of both worlds or all the worlds there. And it makes you think of uh, people that are young that become very famous very quickly. Like it's also the industry's way of taking advantage of people that don't have as much experience in life, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, a lot of they people, can tell them anything. Yeah, that uh, and a lot of people are taking advantage of that way. Mm-hmm. And I think these are all things, you know, as we're in lockdown, that we're realizing about the industry and we're realizing about like what kind of stuff we want to do. Uh, I'm very excited about post uh, lockdown. I think it's going to be, I tell people, I think audiences are going to be sluts for laughs. Like just, they're going to eat it up. They're going to love anything we do. It's going to be like Babe Ruth standing at home plate, getting ready to hit a home run. I can't wait. Uh, uh, But I just, I hope that people, you know, think about, I don't know. Like everyone's just had the convenience of streaming everything now. Like, are they going to consciously try to support people that they haven't heard from over the past year? We don't know. Right. I think they will. I hope I'm going to be nice. (laughs) I hope that there's a lot more support. Uh, There's also just a lot more of a need coming out of this for uh, just acknowledging some mental health issues Mm -hmm. that I think affected everyone. Um, and I and and I think some of that will hopefully come in the form of supporting others. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's my I don't know. We'll see. way of looking at the world. Well, it's also like the work hours that yeah. happen in the industry. Like I don't know why you need fourteen hours a day to make a movie. <laughs> yeah, like I understand know, the- fourteen hours to like build a spaceship or do brain surgery, but. 
don't yeah, know. they. <laughs> that is a good question because I I have been thinking about that in the office world because my girlfriend's been working at home and I've just since May of last year I've I've been like they really don't need to be slogging into work every day mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, you know the the hours are can be weird when they really could just do a lot of this from uh, a more comfortable, quicker situation than dealing with maybe a two hour commute um, mm-hmm. every day. You know, like yeah, that's two everyone hours doesn't could be working. two hours of your life, two mm-hmm. hours of your life gone. I was listening to um, a podcast. I think it was the Motley Fool podcast. And they had these two authors on that wrote this book called The New Long Life, talking mm-hmm. about how we are probably going to live towards 100 or more. And the question is, how are we going to live life that way? You know, we normally mm-hmm. uh, educate ourselves and then we work and then we retire. But it's mm-hmm. like, can we like spread that leisure out through different years in our lives? Can we? have a four day work week. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all the que- other questions that I think corporate America is going to start to ask. And, and also I'm reading about robots delivering pizzas and robots are joining French police on the streets to test military dogs. Great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if robots are going to do everything for us and uh everything's going to be automated. Like, are we going to, that's the, those are the big, the big questions. We're going to live longer. We're going to have less stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So where, where do we go? I think people should just straight up support comedy for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Listen to podcasts, just binge them. Right. We've got a, we got several hundred hours out for you to check out. Interesting yeah, and- conversations. Instead of getting a job at Domino's, let the robot dog deliver pizzas <laughs> and then just listen to podcasts all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned Creepy Basement and also the content that you've been putting out that's similar to that and like that um, since the early 2000s. So what led to that? What precipitated putting work like that together? Obviously, some of it sounds like because you wanted to create stuff and yeah definitely so at the time i was doing a podcast i was going by a, a, a pseudonym a stage name and i was made a podcast called the pincushion because mm-hmm. uh, my stage name at the time was joe pincushion so i was doing that for about a year or two and audio is great but i i know content and i know videos better so <laughs> i contacted woodshop films also known as scrapple tv and i said hey um i'd love to host one of your weird cable access like YouTube channel shows. And they said that they had an idea for the show called Creepy Basement. Uh, And I did. I did about 20 episodes of it. It was a lot of fun. In fact, uh, you mentioned Patreon earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do have a Patreon and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of bringing this interview series back the way that I originally wanted to do it as opposed to what was suggested by my producers at the time. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to sit down and like interview weird people, uh, do weird sketches. Uh, I'm very macabre, very gothy. I love horror movies. I think horror and comedy are cousins and like they're the two cousins that like go smoke weed in the garage before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, I always like to mesh those two worlds together. So I'm, I miss doing stuff like that. 
And I'm hoping as the Patreon grows and I can cultivate more of an audience, I could start, you know, hiring people to help bring these things back into the internet because uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, people seem to really like it. So I really miss it. Yeah. Well, that's shout out to Scrapple TV that's not around anymore. Yeah, Aww. but it is on YouTube because that's where yeah. All I those saw. episodes are there. Yeah. yeah. So go to Scrapple TV on YouTube and uh, look that up. I noticed something. I hope this isn't reductive, but I feel like there is a an Elvira influence on a couple of the things I've seen. We, I mean, she's a goth uh, icon. She's like the Dolly Parton of goth, I guess yeah, I would say. That's a good way, good way to put it. Uh, I look up to her uh, because she's a great businesswoman. She knows yeah. what her audience wants. She knows what she's the horror so people great. love. I loved her show. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I love horror. I love celebrating it so much. Um, it's it's definitely uh, a part of who I am. And, you know, hot girls with dark makeup and, uh, you know, horror people love that shit. Right. Uh, I definitely love Elvira, but I, you know, I, I do find that especially with I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Um, my short Mesomorta people thought that that was supposed to be a horror host and mm -hmm. it's not a horror host. Uh, I have nothing against horror hosting, but I do find that um, especially guys in the horror community automatically mm -hmm. would associate a female horror creator with horror host instead of filmmaker mm -hmm. or director or things like that. So mm -hmm. that's why I give people a pushback when it comes to that. But I love Elvira. I think she's hilarious. She's really yeah, smart. I I think there's just some sort of like an ineffable sort of thing that's it. It's like, you know how uh, you can hear a singer and it's like they sound like themselves, but like you might hear Prince, you know, you hear like Prince is obviously a very unique mm -hmm. person, his own, it was his own person. But you had a little, you could, you could sort of hear the, J the James Brown influence there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Even definitely. though he's not doing James Brown. I mean, yeah. Elvira and I have giant boobs. Uh, that's where I, my, that's where I get the inspiration for my boobs from. Is Elvira? <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I <laughs> great didn't A cleavage. The connection there, <laughs> but but I'm I bringing them back. Post pandemic, they're coming out as much as they can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they're, again, no, I know what my audience likes. <laughs> well, so you've no. done a. All these things, uh, and you also did improv at UCB, and that um, you've been. You also bill yourself as a comedian. Was it was stand up a part of any of the comedy you're doing? I have dabbled in stand up. Um, you know, I have no problem talking in front of a crowd. I love telling stories, mm -hmm. so stand up was always something that I wanted to try. I found, however, I mean, I hinted earlier that. Uh, despite my family's attempts to stop me from being creative, I've always pushed on. Uh, I wanted to go to school for like acting and wanted to go to uh, NYU, wanted to be on Broadway, but uh, I was told no. And so after college, I kind of tried everything and stand up was among that. And stand up was fun. Like I can stand on stage and I can um, make some people laugh, but uh, other elements of stand-up I was really turned away by, turned off by, like uh, open mics. Nobody likes open mics. 
But uh, right. as a woman um, sitting in open mics, the majority of the jokes you hear are like about people's dicks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and with, I have nothing against the medium. I love stand-up comedians. Uh, I have some stand-up comedian friends, uh, <laughs> but it's, you have to be honest with yourself as to like what mediums you like and what you can uh deal with because i was saying yes to everything for so long i burnt myself out so uh and when i came to new york i did try a stand up again and i was just like "Mm, i just don't like the don't like the hustle of uh, and it's very lonely and i wanted to make friends and i feel like i made friends with improv uh i think i need more therapy if i just strictly did stand up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like some people use stand up as therapy and I'm like that is not healthy that is not you need what to this... get therapy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no one here to talk back and explain some things to you <laughs> yeah whereas with improv you can just be an idiot with a mm-hmm. with a bunch of other idiots mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you can forget how sad you are for 20 minutes it's fun it's great <laughs> yeah and uh, now where you're at in your career what Again, I mean, I, I assume the answer is because you, you want to continue to create, but is there a particular focus that you are hoping to get to? You're, you were talking about like post-COVID. So, I mean, even before COVID hit, I kind of thought, you know, I am a comedian. Ah, people do laugh at things that I say, but like, what kind of comedian am I? And I started podcasting like in 2010. Like, I think that was one of the first podcasts that I ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a kid, I would make these mixtapes. I found them recently and I would have like myself in between them, like doing skits and stuff. I have to digitize them. And I was like, maybe. Uh, and because it's such a new medium and I felt very comfortable with experimenting with it, I was like, maybe podcasting is the way that I do comedy. Because you think of like Mark Maron and and Joe Rogan, hate to name drop those people, but they're <laughs> comedy bang bang. I mean, you got a yeah, lot comedy of- bang bang. Yeah. I mean, you they're comedians that do a podcast, and a lot of uh, and a lot of the way they express themselves is through the medium. And I felt that was the most comfortable way for me to do it. So right now, I'm like I'm focusing on my podcast. I have two other shows that I just launched that I'm trying to uh, get on distribution channels right now but um one of them's called chromatic cast it's a show about lady gaga because i'm obsessed with her and uh the other show is called vh smash where we talk about like bad movies from the 80s and 90s oh so i'm like leaning into podcasting right now because it's it's making me happy and i am expressing myself uh but i do want to be a filmmaker i want to uh, write my own stuff. I want to uh, produce, direct, be in my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but filmmaking is a very expensive gamble, and uh, you got to take baby steps sometimes when it comes to that. I've I've mm-hmm. made uh, I made a short film while in lockdown about a creepy doll that followed me around. It was fun, <laughs> and um, my short Mesomorta was like the first thing that I ever like directed and I made, and I'm mm-hmm. very proud of that. As short as it is, but like it looks great. It's funny because uh, I don't people are like, why don't you just make other stuff? Uh, I don't want to make something that's a, not 100 percent representation of like who I am as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to have to wait until I mean, that's why I've launched the Patreon uh, with the hopes with uh, building a community. I'll be able to uh, 
employ my friends and create weird stuff like mesomorta. I have a lot of ideas that I don't publicly admit, but I'm saving <laughs> them for my meetings with Rob Zombie that are probably going to come up. Well, great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wanted to talk about Mesomorta because that's something you completely created. I mean, you wrote that, you produced it, and you mentioned you directed it, uh, and you were in it. Uh, how did that come about? That, um, and I, by the way, I also edited that together, too. Oh, wow. So nice. I did everything, almost everything for that. I had some friends with do the VF, VFX and helping with the mm-hmm. sound mixing, but uh Mesomorta, it's kind of a sad story, but I'm a sad, um, morbid person. My grandmother, Italian, when she was alive, she was um, going through dementia. So sometimes you would ask her, oh, my mom, how are you feeling today? And she'd be like, Mesomorta, and that means half dead, mm. which is funny to me. It, that's funny. And I was like, that's a good name for a character. So that character was in my head for years. Mm-hmm. And I kind of always knew that she was like programmed by men. To represent like a certain to like be a mouthpiece for something but i never really know knew what the story was until 2015 happened mm-hmm. and russian interference with our elections and everything that happened on the internet and i was like of course mesomorta is created by russian scientists to you know be on youtube and be really hot and like m- m- spread misinformation so it kind of It was a reaction to that. It was a reaction to how I felt I was being treated in the industry as a woman. It was a reaction to uh, my family. It was a lot of things. And looking back on in a Biden world now, like I definitely want to revisit the idea of it and see like where it where it fits now, because, um, you know, Mesomorta still has a lot to say and the problems still aren't done, you know, we haven't like been like, all right, everything's done. Let's pack up and go. So I'm hoping to flesh out the idea to like a full TV pilot uh, where we want to try to make it an anthology series of like skits and short films that are like funny and scary. So uh, again, with the Patreon, I'm hoping to hire a team of writers to help me write the pilot for something like that. So that, and you know, you look at things like Queen's Gambit and they said that took like 20 years to make. So I don't feel bad anymore for working on Mesomorta. It started, we filmed that short in 2018, mm-hmm, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, the date that it was released. But you had started working on that a few years prior? Yeah, I think I wrote it in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this, I wrote a web series first. And then I wrote this prequel as a way to get interest and get people excited to put together the web series. Uh and it's just been it's been a while and the project has grown. So now I want people to look at that prequel and see if it would um, spark any interest in a television pilot or a Netflix pilot. Yeah. Netflix will buy the... anything at this point, right? <laughs> well, you know, that's the thing. We I, I know we're <laughs> talking about a lot of content being out there and maybe too much yeah. content, but there are so many opportunities to sell your work um, and to get cast in something because all of these streaming services need content and and people need to star in that content. So the opportunities are now more plentiful, I feel like. And I, I have to believe, you know, I think that the field will be a little bit more even again eventually, but I have to believe that artists can cultivate their own audiences. 
-hmm. And it sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks to say this, but like people get cast because of how many social media followers they have sometimes. No, I mean, people, I, I remember seeing a trained actor sort of complain about a TikTok star getting cast in something. And it's really just because they were on TikTok, you know? Yeah. YouTube stars. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure uh, how some of that content will come out or some of that work will come out because some of them can make the transition. It's sort of like stage to screen. Like there were some people who couldn't make the transition and this is the new transition going from these small little bits where the approach is so specific (laughs) that is not really about embodying a character. Yeah, it's going from like a a TV star to see if they can take the leap to being a movie star. Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, It's a very interesting multi-layered sort of situation now because it's also like, can they act? And also, while they can hold my screen for this amount of time, can they really be movie star screen presence <laughs> sometimes they can we'll see sometimes yeah sometimes they can just like some of the uh youtube singers they could some of them weren't great live and some of them have been big successes like justin bieber who was somebody mm-hmm. who was just putting stuff on youtube uh just like so many people do now it's um, hard to it's hard to distinguish now because of all the technology that's out there. Like I, I find some music that I really like and then I look up live videos of them and I get very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's they're either the lip syncing or they yeah. can't sing their own music. Yeah. Or they have a, some sort of double. So it just their voice yeah. sounds stronger than it is. Not Lady Gaga. Sorry, Not I Lady always Gaga. have to talk about her. <laughs> no, she's a phenomenal <laughs> singer. Um, I mean, and, and it seems like multi-generational uh, multi-generational talent acknowledges how great she is. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, if if Tony Bennett wants to sing with her that much, you know something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, I, so Mesomorta is only the beginning, this, uh, this piece, really, when it comes to uh, what else is potentially at store for that piece of work. Yeah, and she's not just a head in a table. She's a full, uh, dis- like, I have an idea of, like, all these different body parts sewn together. Uh, Frankenhooker, if you've ever seen that movie, mm-hmm. uh, was an inspiration for this. Uh, the Reanimator was an inspiration for this. So something, uh, because the other thing is, like, when I look on social media, I see, I see Botox, I see fillers, uh-huh. I see beauty filters. Uh-huh. So you don't really know what these people really look like. So uh-huh. Mesomorta is like a monster of our own creation. You know, we're just so obsessed with augmenting the way we look uh, mm-hmm. that we don't even really know what. I think maybe some influencers, if I saw them on the street, I might not even recognize them. Well, I mean, uh, not trying to be mean, but it, there was just that, I'll say, controversy with Khloe Kardashian. Because there was an Ooh, unfiltered really? picture that got out. Yeah, uh, it's an unfiltered picture that got out, and uh, like her, her a family member accidentally posted it. Accidentally. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then um, all these people went nuts about that, and then they started demanding that the picture get taken offline, and people were getting letters from lawyers about like, hey, oh take my this god, off. because of an unfiltered picture. Oh. Yeah, the whole thing is bizarre because, you know, they are in, 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 in this world of altering their looks and, and using filters and yeah. makeup and 
surgery. It's how they're, it's their art, I guess. It's yeah. how they express themselves. Right. And that's, of course, encouraged a lot of people to do the same. But they, of course, were encouraged to do it themselves. So it's like both of them are sort of, for lack of a better term, victim of some sort of weird way uh, that society puts these body issues on people, body image issues on people. I mean, hey, I have a filter on my face right now in the Zoom screen. I have that filter all the way up. I just have a lot of makeup on. <laughs> well, I honestly can't tell, but um, that's the point. That's why I'm a filmmaker. You don't. You can't. You're not supposed to tell where the yeah, movie they, magic is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, and I think we're all sort of. Uh, we're looking at ourselves all day, every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think we're all sort of have these sort of concerns about body image that uh maybe we shouldn't have and and then some in some cases it's like if somebody wants to wear makeup who cares you know like yeah. it's there's there's i'm i don't know what the healthy balance is but it's it also thinking of like what it was like being a teenager growing up especially for young girls like mm-hmm. having filters that can alter how you look is mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a quick way to start some early damage too. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. Oof. I don't know. These are all it, it's it's social media and all this content is definitely making us you know rethink uh, and see what the consequences are. And I don't know if we'll even uh, change our behaviors. Uh, these are questions that we explore on my show, um, but. Right now, everybody's just in the midst of what the apocalypse is right now. Mm-hmm. And I want people to start to think of like, okay, how how should we change all this messed up dystopia that we're living in? Yeah. Maybe oh, that God, should be yeah. the theme that Mesomorta explores. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. Because, I mean, 2015 was five years ago. And right. I think the internet has changed so much in those five years as well. Exactly. Yeah. Especially just from the last year mm-hmm. the way we engage with social media and the internet is so different and, and we've been impacted in such a way i mean i don't know that tiktok would quite be the thing that it is if it wasn't for this lockdown yeah yeah it's way more it's opportunity. All dancing. <laughs> yeah dancing i i uh it's now just like dog videos are my friends on my uh Oh, nice. <laughs> my TikTok. I, That's I, good. As long as it's not people pointing at words all the time. Ooh, I, I was not a big fan of those pretty immediately. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a very, it's like a very not creative people thinking that they're creative. Is uh, yeah. what <laughs> I saw when I saw that. Yeah, another weird trend I'm seeing on there are people who think that they're giving great advice and that they're being so helpful, but they're being really smarmy about how they're giving the advice. And maybe what they're saying is actually good advice, but they have this attitude about them giving it to uh, the way they like say it. What's an example of it? Like, did you know that you're not eating Tic Tacs the right way? Here's how you're (laughs) supposed to do it. Not even that. Like, better advice. Like, like, you know, advice on how maybe um, the way society has made us have... Like, we were just talking about body issues. Uh, Like, they might give some sort of counseling on that, and the words they're using make sense. But the attitude in which they're sharing it is like they're, they're chewing out a 
person who works at Rite Aid or something like that. Ooh. It's like, why do you have this attitude? Like, if I if I was going to a counselor or a therapist mm-hmm. and they were using that tone with me, I'd be like, I'm yeah, no one wants that. Everybody's <laughs> looking for fake it. friends on the internet, not not to be yelled at like like they're working at a CVS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't don't have that kind of dressing someone down sort of tone yeah. and also you know you're belittling belittling them as a little bit it's like this is i mean i do i try to do positivity like positive text messages on my instagram and stuff but like i am kind of sick of like the the self-care slash positivity fakeness that's on there yeah like a person like um saying you're great you're doing great i was like you don't think that about me you liar (laughs) it's the wipe (laughs) it <laughs> reminds me of some of those workout videos that are out there when someone's like you're doing the, you're, it's like well, you're not we're not in the same room you don't know how well i'm i'm laying like, on i'm the just floor, watching actually. you because <laughs> you have really nice leggings on so <laughs> like, i've given up i am i'm not doing well <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm feeling jealous that i don't look as great as everyone <laughs> on the screen <laughs> Uh, also, uh, and the other thing my boyfriend has pointed out is it's a lot of uh, stuff they're trying to sell you on Instagram. Yeah. I've been very, all these bathing suits, dresses that I would absolutely buy in a heartbeat. And I'm like, stop showing me this shit. Stop <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> I get, I'll see either gadgets. And then I like clicked on one thing that was about like under eye puffiness. And now it's like, I'm getting and that's a lot all of you that get. stuff. And I'm like, Have I don't you, want this. Have you been targeted for anything that uh, your partner would want? Like my boyfriend gets uh, targeted for leggings sometimes. He's like, why am I getting leggings ads on my Instagram? The reverse has happened because my girlfriend, girlfriend of the show, Justina, her Amazon I've used on my computer. Okay. So if I'm logged into her Amazon account and I search for something, it pops up on her page sometimes so it's like shoes or like I here's a um, laptop she'll be like laptops what here's a funny back and forth so he gets targeted the specific leggings that he gets targeted for is supposed to make like make your girlfriend's butt look great so it's targeted for men to make their so, girlfriend's asses look good i recently got targeted for boxers that have like a hammock for your balls <laughs> Granted, I also follow a lot of accounts for gay men. So I was like, does Instagram think I'm a gay man? Or does Instagram like <laughs> think I, my boyfriend's balls need a hammock? <laughs> it's like, what are they listening to? What conversations yeah. have they heard and is to that show me this? Look, or is it because it's more practical? I don't even know. The boxers, I think it's supposed to like keep your nuts off your thighs. So it's like a nice, practical, cool thing. I don't know. Should I get him some I nut know. hammocks? I wear boxer briefs. So I, oh, <laughs> but okay. I'm wondering, like, am I supposed to have a hammock? Uh, <laughs> well, now matters? maybe it'll pop up on your Instagram yep. feed now that we've talked about it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely will. Yeah, we're and the to... leggings that make your girlfriend's <laughs> butt look huge. <laughs> I have yet to see those. I said to him, are you going to buy them or what? <laughs> like, I would like them. So if you want me to wear them, well, go my ahead. birthday is, um, no, um, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> well, we've reached the end of the episode. It's time to create something together. Awesome. 
uh, I feel like only got enough time to scratch the surface with everything you do. Uh, there's so many projects that you can do and that you can work on from different points of view. Uh, if we were going to create something together, um, I wonder what kind of project that might be. Maybe it would be a short, like a, mm. if we were to do a horror short. Okay. I love horror. You love horror? Yes. Even more. Horror shorts are great. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can, like, walk through what that process might be like to create something. And, you know, your your inspiration for Mesomorta is very interesting. And then we've been talking about how people have been engaging with the internet lately i wonder if there's another avenue that we could take uh for inspiration for an idea well uh with the conversation that we just had and i'm trying to do virtual collaborations with people uh because i teach a virtual filmmaking class so my students obviously can only do things from where they are located mm -hmm. Good filmmaker works with what they have. So <laughs> we could do uh, some, I was thinking maybe a demonic Instagram algorithm that shows us ads for things that like no Instagram algorithm should show us ads for. Okay. Um, okay. And is it like that angle of, uh, I don't know, it follows or something where, or, or the ring, like if you see the ad, then you'll get visited by the, hmm. the monster or something. The thing, and then it, it passes on. <laughs> uh, I feel like, especially with where we're headed in society, it's not like a one-on-one -on -one virus because like it follows. Uh -huh. It's just like a demon thing. Uh -huh. Pod people are very terrifying. We're all turning. We're living during a pandemic. So uh -huh. why break it, the infection down to one person? Right. Everybody. I mean, we're all infected with Instagram. So, like, why is this company really targeting? Like, are they reading our brain waves uh -huh, uh -huh. along with listening to our conversations? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that could be is, the angle. Is Mark Zuckerberg um, sitting like in an evil <laughs> castle somewhere, watching a giant monitor of like everyone? Maybe. To, yeah, I guess. So, when you're breaking an idea, are you are you thinking okay? what would be the uh, meaning in the real world? Like what, what is the problem in the real world and how can we incorporate that? Is that the sort of idea that you... I always love to, because especially in horror, the best horror is a commentary on what's happening on, in society at that moment. I mean, you think uh, Night of the Living Dead, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you just... Uh, when you have something to say, you better say something good. So I always try to, I, I question society nonstop and I always think outside of the box. So I love whatever I try to create to make people step outside of their everyday routine or the life that they live and think, huh, maybe that's not a good thing that I do. <laughs> so uh, morality lessons, mm -hmm. I guess. Morality plays is, mm -hmm. is what I like to do. Like Mesomorta is a commentary on uh, not only the misinformation that we absorb and believe right away, uh -huh. but also uh, the perceptions of beauty for women and uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, how women are controlled in media. Uh -huh. So uh, with something like Instagram, the question is, and the question that we're all asking ourselves now is, 
these companies like Facebook, like, do they have our best interests at heart? Mm-hmm. Like, how are they regulating all of the information that's being put on this platform? They don't even know half of the things that are on their platform sometimes. So, and that's very scary. Um, in real life stories, like the people that monitor content that's being posted on Facebook, sometimes they see things that are terrifying. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, the idea of these social media channels, because I do feel like we've been pulled in and uh, lied to, you know, in my early 20s, I thought, oh, this is something that as an artist, I can tell people what I'm doing and, and have people interact with me. But now I feel like it owns me and uh, I can't go anywhere without it and I can't quit it or I won't go anywhere. Right. So, mm. yeah, the- yeah. So, yeah, I would love to write a short it's- about. Yeah. how I hate Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and explore those themes of, you know, how they influence us. Yeah. And I, what I, their purpose is behind why they make the choices they make that influence us. And writing stories like this is therapy. Like I tell my students, you know, think about some of them are doing movies about being home by themselves and people like waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a monster come out of their closet. Like, I tell them to deal with how you're feeling right now. Deal with how you know your friends are dealing with all of this right now and and turn it into something because that's how you can work through whatever questions about society that you have or that's how you can tell people how you're feeling. Like I think it's really important if a student makes a movie about feeling alone, like then you know how that student feels. So uh, it, it, it is about the story and it's it's what you have to say and how you say it. Absolutely. Mm. And what would we call this? Hmm. Like, what's a what's a name that we could give to this? I'm thinking. I think it has influence. to start with a hashtag. Oh, okay. hashtag influence. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, one step uh, closer. Ha- uh, under the hashtag influence. Ooh, I do like it. Nice. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Joanna. Thanks for having me. This was great. So great, very happy to have had her. Glad she shared her time with us. Still, though, no ads for banana hammock boxers or leggings for your butt popping up on my Instagram. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I don't know. I suppose there's still time. Follow Joanna on Instagram at JoePincushion and check out her site, JoannaVanThine.com. To watch her web series, go to mezamortawebseries.com. And for her podcast, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com and twitch.tv slash apocalypsepodcastnetwork. Links in bio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod and subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter. And support us if you can. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Great episode next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.